I'm Marcus Brown. This is a Runner's Life podcast. This is a platform for richer conversations that explore the person behind the runner. I discuss the topics that influence us as runners locally, whilst concurrently connecting us to the wider global community. If you found value in the show, please subscribe and share with your community on social media and leave a rating on Apple Podcasts or the platform selected as it helps the podcast grow. If you want to support my work directly, you can become a member on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash a runner's life. Thank you for tuning in. Now let's head to the conversation. Hey Phil, welcome to a runner's life podcast. How are you getting on? I'm really good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, I'm very good, thanks. Uh, it's great talking to you, and I'm looking forward to uh, covering some of the topics that we're going to get into. Um, I've been a fan of the stuff that you've done on Instagram, and it's good to see you back on the gram. Um, and I really want to sort of really dive into the stuff that you're doing now, because I think it's really interesting, and I think there's a lot of um, value in, in the stuff that you're doing. But before we get there, I want to ask you a few uh, questions first. If you can be any living or historical person for dinner, who would you pick and why? Living uh, would probably be Ricky Gervais, just because he's a hero of mine. Um, I find him absolutely hilarious, but I just also love the journey that he's been on and how he kind of went through the back door as opposed to doing it conventionally. Um, but but he always sticks to what he believes. He never wavers from that. Um, and he just, I just think it would be hilarious. Yeah, I mean, he's done some great um, work. Obviously, the funny stuff, but also some of the serious stuff as well. Definitely. Um, it's just a really, I think, as a person, and when it comes to his values and opinions, I just, I really align with him um, and just the, his attitude to life. So I can relate to everything that he says. And he always seems to say things very eloquently. Um, and think, and, and I, I always believe what he says. Has he got like, have you got like a favourite sort of saying or quote from him or just something that he's done that you sort of, you'll sort of think back to? I just, anything from the office really. I just, <laughs> even just picturing the look that he does to the camera is just, I don't think that'll ever get old for me. No, no, true. Uh, well, you got the, obviously the US version as well, but um, what are your sort of thoughts on that? Yeah, I haven't had a chance to really get into it and I don't know why, but I find Steve Carell quite distracting and it's, I don't really get... <laughs> into it enough to sort of enjoy it whereas I mean I've got all my friends saying come on you need to really give it a go because it's better than the original which I'm thinking really how can that be just it's the best thing so I should probably give it a go yeah I think uh you can't really I mean the original was such a great one and like you say some of the looks that he gave was such comic timing really I mean makes it look easy but you know if you just well, if you just randomly just try to do a look, people will be like, "What what's wrong with your face?" Well, that's <laughs> and that's why it, the reason it works so well is because the character came first, and they shaped the story, the, the the sitcom around the character, as opposed to writing something and then trying to cast for that character, which is why often comedies fail. So often it's like Jim Carrey; lots of his films work because it's Jim Carrey, and they're just molding a story and the film around him and just letting him do what he wants. Yeah, it's almost like what Robin Williams did as well especially some yeah. of his improv stuff as well Absolutely, uh, such yeah. a such a genius so um yeah definitely and if you obviously we're talk, going back to the the uh, dinner theme so you've got ricky gervais over for dinner so if you were making a meal what would you make him uh well i know he likes to dine out and last night sarah and i had one of our favorite meals which are these awesome tuna burgers and they've got ginger and soya soy in it uh, sauce and it's just it's just amazing i had two last night because i'm a 
fat pig. So probably that, something like that. Awesome. And if you had a superpower, what would that be? Probably to stop time because I know it's a cliche, but there's just not enough time in the day. I find all the things I want to be doing, whether that's work or running and exercise, seeing the kids are just, the days just fly by far too quick. Yeah, as a parent myself, I can completely relate to that, uh, especially mm. with work, training, and everything else. Um, you just yeah. <laughs> people say, "How do you get everything in?" You're like, "Well, I, I try don't. to be as organised <laughs> as possible," like you say, but you don't. Sometimes, like you're spinning plates, and sometimes the plates drop. Definitely, you know I mean? and that's yeah, I've said we should, sure we'll probably talk about, but I, you've got like the the stress bucket is what I've uh, been told that it's called, and I used to have way too many things in my bucket, um, and I've had to remove some stuff because I just. I was trying to do too much in, in one day and it really took its toll. If you were a wrestler or a fighter, what would be your entrance song? <laughs> You're the best around. <laughs> something like that. Um, I don't know, probably something silly because I don't really take myself too seriously. Wait, you're the first one that's actually given a rendition. That's brilliant, to be honest. Was it not? I love you're that. Gonna, that, that could be sort of the trailer, just that snippet. Yeah, I think uh, when X Factor is back, you should uh, definitely go on there and uh, <laughs> just do that. Two, I, do, I, do the lines, and you'll be done. <laughs> are you Are you being a hundred percent honest with me, Marcus? <laughs> <laughs> there might be a small side of sarcasm in there, but yeah, uh... <laughs> I, I only sensed it slightly. But yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, as much as you can sort of sense it through, obviously, for a podcast, <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was definitely there. I won't deny. Um, <laughs> What's your favourite place uh, that you visited, obviously pre-COVID? Uh, uh, can it be any time? Any time, anywhere. For me, it was when we when I was a kid, we used to go to France every year. Um, and I, although I'm fairly confident now, when I was younger, I didn't particularly, I didn't have much confidence in myself. And we used to go with this other family and we'd go camping down there and we would just meet loads and loads of different people from different countries and we'd spend two weeks down there so it's obviously amazing sunshine and scenery and I just I'd always be quite sad to leave because it was an escape for me um so um uh, funnily enough we're supposed to be going on a honeymoon there which can't obviously happen now because of the rules that have come into place quarantining but it's just it's just idyllic isn't it and a, a place you can completely relax it's really nice when you're at a place like that, like you say, when you can just kind of just relax, especially, and I'm assuming here, I was based on myself as well, like sometimes in your own sort of day-to-day, your head always feels like it's just spinning and spinning, and then you yeah. find somewhere where you can go on holiday and you can just like snap and just like just yeah. chill, where sometimes you can go places and it takes you a couple mo- days just to even just like let the guard down and just start to chill by then yeah. the holiday is over. I think the biggest battle is giving yourself permission to relax as well. Um, and I've, as I mentioned to you before, this was I'm now in full time employment. Whereas when I was in self, when I was self employed, you very rarely give yourself permission to switch off because you, you always could be thinking about work, and that tends to happen. Whereas now I work my nine till five or thereabouts, and Monday to Friday, but I do switch off when the weekend comes, and I really. It's that's been one of the biggest issues for me is knowing when to switch off uh, and going somewhere like France would have just been that perfect way to I could I was hoping to do what we used to do which was to lie on sun lounges at night and there's no light pollution and you just see shooting stars all the time and that moment is kind of 
yeah, paradise or or harmony, like that, that peace and harmony, just encapsulated in one moment. Is it because you sort of feel more connected to nature? Uh, possibly, yeah. I think, but I think it's just more that there's just all that noise, both literally and metaphorically, has switched off, and you can just focus on the one sense that is currently doing something, which is just sight and just enjoy what you're seeing. It's like when you talk about happiness, for example, it's just like if you think about trying to be happy or trying to gain happiness, you won't have it. It's just like you just have to be in that moment. Yeah, totally. And it's uh, I've read a great book by, um, you know, the subtle art of not giving a F-U-C-K, where he just talks about how people who have to look at themselves in the mirror and remind themselves to be happy aren't truly happy. But if you can feel happiness and just be in that moment, then that's ideally where you want to be yeah that makes sense and you know we've really sort of touched upon the parts regarding mental health and just um just being aware of what's going on with our thoughts and our processes which i really want to get into but before that uh, i want to touch on something that you're really well known for um in your day-to-day job uh, you know you're a storyteller you produce a lot of short films um you know you produce them edited them directed them uh i mean you've you've got a lot of experience in that field and your christmas short films you know have you know anyone if you, if they, if you google your name i mean you'll come up uh, the first one uh that you you produced i think back in um 2014 um it's been seen over 50 million times um can you tell us a little bit about that film yeah, so as you mentioned, 2014, I was running my own business, but I was stuck in a corporate world and I just really wanted to do something that showed that I was able to tell emotive stories. So I was on a run, ironically, and um, it was I think it was beginning of December and I just came up with this idea that I wanted to create, which is about a guy counting down the days to Christmas. And then on Christmas Day, he opens up a series of cassettes that his late mother has left him so you're not truly informed as to what's going on until that moment when you realize that he's lost his mum and he's spending Christmas day devoted to listening to a tape that she's left him and it was just as soon as I had the idea just thought right this has got to be made I really want to get this done so I spoke with my friend Chris who actually was a colleague as well and we just got it made so he's the guy that's in it and it was just the two of us and I had, I never thought it would go anywhere. I was hopeful that people would see it and enjoy it. And then in 2014, it did fairly well on social media and people enjoyed it. And then four years later, 2018, I it was Sunday morning and I just thought, I'm just going to release it again. And I put this wording, the John Lewis advert had come out a week before. So I said, off the back of the John Lewis advert, here's a Christmas film I'm particularly proud of. I created it four years ago. Let me know what you think. And then it just took off. Um all the views on the notice board that I put it on, which was back in Tewkesbury then, um, it just went crazy on there. Loads and loads of views. It was just being shared. And, and as they say, it went viral. And then it was, so that was on a Sunday. By Wednesday, it must have been up to about 10 million views. And then the real shock was on Friday morning when I woke up and my partner at the time, her dad called and said, did you know that they've just played Phil's film on Good Morning Britain? So I was like, yeah, right. So we turned on the TV and it wasn't there. So yeah, we missed it. And then I got a phone call from the producer saying, do you fancy coming on for an interview? Um, which was a Zoom call. Um, so I thought, oh my God, okay, I'll give that a go. And it was still, I'd have only just woken up. So it was, I think it was quarter past seven. I was just waiting to go on. And, um, and, and, and yeah, and it just, that day went mad. I had about 
10 newspapers knocking at the door wanting to speak to me about it and the views just kept going up and up and it's just been it was just an, an amazing and surreal experience it must be quite overwhelming though because that happening and people will just assume that like you just did about one video but looking into your history you've done a lot of short films before that and a couple of christmas films before that as well so it was a couple it was the works in the progress right yeah and the, the issue of being a gloucestershire boy back then was that i truly felt and still feel like i'm capable of great work but it's so competitive and there's so many people who want to be filmmakers that it's really hard to be found and even if you are even if you have the platform then finding an audience that engage with your films and and actually then want to go and share it which is like the next level i mean watching something is one thing but someone to think i enjoyed this so much i want someone else to watch it too that's that's a that's next level and i so yeah i just i lived in this bubble of wanting to be found so i think that's why it always felt surreal was because when I, I guess I felt that I had been found uh, and people were seeing it, it just never really came out of that dream state. And, and even to this day, I don't, it just felt like it wasn't happening to me or what was happening wasn't true. <laughs> I mean, I went on this morning and met Philip Schofield. I mean, that's just yeah. bizarre. Yeah. And this, this kid growing up in the 80s, you know, Philip's been on our TVs for since that sort of time. I know, uh, I saw him in Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat back when I was about <laughs> six. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I mean, that's incredible. Um, and I'm sort of thinking about that. You know, we all, uh, it's a sort of sweeping statement, but people generally have the idea that, you know, we do something and it'll go viral it'll go it'll, and we'll get recognition for something that we've done. Yeah. Um, what was it, the dream like compared to reality? How do you mean? In terms of like, you probably picture it in your head thinking this would be amazing when it all happens and everyone's going to like love it. And then when they do love it, what was that like in terms of like how you felt afterwards? Yeah, yeah um, it was really overwhelming actually for a good, uh, for a good reason. Um, but, and which is that I, I, I mean, my phone was going off like mad because I was getting all these notifications from people that were saying they'd enjoyed it. I think what really hit me as well was when people were telling me that they'd lost partners or parents or even children and they said that they watched my film and it gave them some comfort that they that there was a story out there that they could relate to. But also, as with all my films, even though often they have this sort of somber tone, there's this end feeling that I want people to have, which is to be grateful for what we do have whilst we have it. And so I remember I was interviewed at the time and just said, ultimately, if if they've watched this film and then perhaps that day turned to their partner and said something nice to them or made them feel loved, then I think that's that's a win, I think. And I think as filmmakers, we have that responsibility to not just create things for ourselves, but create things that, that make a change in others, whether that's for marketing purposes or, or even just stories that we watch in the cinema. So, yeah, it was... Um, really overwhelming and I think just I I only would have ever expected people to like it but for them to share it and comment and and have that engagement that I had was way beyond anything I could have imagined what you said about um the reason behind it really makes sense because when you think about the arts it, it does have such a crucial um place in society it holds the mirror back to us to make us um, question certain things uh, and to look at things in a different way and 
I was actually going to ask you um, about your following video as well when you talked about, um, I think it was called Time is a Gift and it focused on an anniversary, kind of similar sort of themes. Um, you sort of explained the reason why um, love and loss sort of focus in your films. And then you also mentioned uh, subsequently about the the idea of gratitude, trying to make people aware of that gratitude. Can you explain the reason why your Christmas fil- films sort of have that sort of narrative and why you're looking, why it's so important to you to sort of remind people of that gratitude side? It's funny you're asking this question because I, I used to struggle to answer this, but I finally right at this moment and I'm being honest feel like I have the realization as to why I do that which is that for a long time I felt that I I behaved very selfishly and was quite self-absorbed and did things on my agenda in the way that I wanted to and I think I felt a lot of guilt deep down for doing that however I still did it and I think a lot of people behave that way which is that they go about doing things that works for them but very often forget to consider how that's impacting on other people. But because I'm, hopefully anyway, I like to admit that I'm emotionally intelligent. I try to consider how I behave and reflect on it and think, how can I improve? Because I was already aware of how I was behaving. As I say, that guilt allowed me then to think, um, this is how I should be behaving, which is being grateful and appreciating others. And, And I don't know why, for some reason, the way that I enforce that and get that point across is through sad stories. I, it's, it's odd. It, I can't really explain that part, especially considering I haven't had any major losses in my life. But I guess I can only relate to how it would feel. And I think it's something that perhaps um, I can relate to, which is um, knowing that I would be truly gutted if something, someone or something important to me was lost. And I didn't spend the time being appreciative of them whilst they were around. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to give away too much of the first Christmas video and I hope people watch it, but it's so powerful and it really comes across in your videos. It's simple concepts, but just delivered so well. Um, Thank you. And I think you, you couldn't really walk away from it unless you had like <laughs> no heart. And just be like, oh, it's all right, let's move on to the next one. Without thinking about it and just being like, look, okay, being really mindful of where you are, your relatives, your friends, your neighbours. Have I spoken yeah. to that person? So I think, yeah, I mean, I, I love what you're doing. And uh, hopefully, um, obviously, w- w- we can obviously see more more of that sort of content uh, as the sort of time sort of progresses. But I want to talk about something you also did with um, uh, Lewis Capaldi. Um, yeah. I mean, everyone, like, I'm such a big fan of the song, um, Someone You Loved. And you, I think you worked on one of the videos that he did with his, um, yeah. with his relative uh, Peter, uh, yeah. many, who many know from Doctor Who. Um, <laughs> but you've just sort of described it as one of the best sort of shoots of your life. Can you sort of explain why that was? Yeah, I mean, the backstory was that I did Love is a Gift. I did a film for Good Morning Britain. And then Lewis reached out through his agent, uh, or not his agent, his l- l- label, and they asked me personally to write and direct it so that in itself was this amazing opportunity and I was still in dreamland at the time which is I felt that my career this is it I'm I'm taking off this is going to be that that I can look back on all the struggles and the corporate side and and wave farewell and so to be in a position where I was able to even be considered for something like that was a major compliment but also because 
I, I, as I will probably touch on later, I've spent a long, a lot of my time in my twenties with suffering from imposter syndrome and not believing in myself. And so when I stepped foot on that shoot, it, I felt really confident. And over the last sort of five years, I've really come out of my shell and truly understand who I am and have come come to grips with that. I'm at a piece of it. And I just felt confident and I didn't worry about whether this story was going to fall flat. I felt like I was capable and I'd, I'd worked with big teams before. So it was about 30 crew on that. And I just, I knew what I was doing. And I think when you have prepared and you're comfortable in that environment, it allows you to sit back and just enjoy it. And in particular, filmmaking is an enjoyable process and should be if it's been planned well. If you're trying to do too much in one day, then that's, you're going to have a, a, an issue there. But it was just seeing all these experts around me do what I've wanted to do for so long. And Love is a Gift was something I shot on my own. I'm a self-shooting director and I tend to do everything on my own, not because I, well, most of the time I have to, but also because I, I like, I quite like that. It's, um, I'm a bit of a control freak, but also it's because I just don't have the resources. So being able to work with a, a director of photography who I'd handpicked based on his work, for example, was just a privilege. And it's the first time I'd ever been in that position. Yeah, it kind of makes sense because before you're doing it all yourself, so you understand all the different roles. So it's kind of hard to then give that stuff away. But then, like you say, if you find people that you want to work with, you know, it kind of makes it a little bit easier, but there's still that kind of half resistance of like giving that up. But you trust in those yeah. people. And I think, yeah, you know, it was a great sort of result. So, um, again, Thank you link very much. Yeah, well yeah it seems to have done pretty well. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you spoke about in having imposter syndrome and obviously it all sort of came together in that point. I'm not saying it ever goes away, but where do you think that kind of started or stemmed from in your life? Um, I think it's probably because I, when I came out of university, I got a job straight away and it was quite a small agency. And I very quickly found myself in a role where I was head of video. And I think I just probably wasn't quite there yet, both in, when it comes to maturity and knowledge of the industry I hadn't dealt with many clients and that was there was a lot of pressure but also because I'm this awful perfectionist and I put so much pressure on myself to be the best version of myself that I knew what I was capable of and I also knew who was out there in the industry at the time and I just felt like this tiny insignificant creature that was trying to have a go and so I just would sit in meetings and feel like they must look at me and just think, who the hell is this young 20 year old telling me what we should be doing with our video? And it took me probably until the age of 29, 30, when I, there was one meeting in particular, I just remember sitting there and thinking, you know what, I actually, I feel good about this. I feel like I've done enough now to prove my worth. Um, but yeah, that's, I think it's probably the perfectionist side of me that creates that feeling and as you say it doesn't doesn't ever go it's just probably slightly more diminished than it used to be and talking of that perfectionist sort of theme and tying it to running something that i sort of think i'm going to use to touch upon in your blogs as well which we'll get into um is and i've sort of seen it in myself is like say you want to run a certain time and you want to run say say you've finished your workout and it's like 5.97 miles and you're like yeah. i've got to get that extra zero zero point zero three just to round it up round it off to six and yeah. like this is ridiculous because <laughs> i remember my, my father-in-law was saying to me i was running as a site you do realize that like gps watches aren't accurate anyways so you're probably not running an accurate six 
It's true, isn't <laughs> it? Heard, we just yeah. it, we're data freaks. A lot of us runners, I think, we just like to see numbers. But I'd ask you a question: If you knew that no one other than yourself was ever going to see that number, do you think you would push the extra point zero three miles? Um, yeah. To answer your question, I mean, basically, when I heard that him say that, it kind of was almost like quite freeing because it's a bit like you know, right? This is like bloody ridiculous. Like no one really cares. Um, mm. And in terms of answering your question, one of the things I do for Strava is I my only follower is my coach. So okay. even though I've got my profile on my Instagram and I share a little bit about my workouts, but then I realize I think no one really cares anyways. Mm. Um, I just sort of think I just want to keep that side separate because the way I sort of think about it is, like, especially in the races or training, the only people I really want to keep accountable would be my coach, uh, obviously myself mainly, my coach and my family. Um, and I try and try and keep that circle really small. Um, yeah, if my coach good. wasn't involved, then I guess it would just be me and obviously trying to be a good example to my kids. But I think, yeah, you're right. I think um, it can get quite dangerous in terms of just wanting to put that, the idea of like the times that you're running and yeah. people seeing you doing certain things. And that's why let's make it a, a private account. So I kind of don't have to sort of share that sort of much. Cause I feel like yeah. you can share, but then you don't need to share everything. That makes no, sense. it becomes quite braggy but i think what you sounds like you've got which is what we should all aspire to have is that just it's that self-motivated it's like a it's like a third party within your brain that's your own coach in a way isn't it that it's yeah. you almost feel like you're under pressure from yourself yeah. um but i know that some people it, it creates this reason to do way more than they should do because they worry about what that looks like even if no one sees it it's really strange isn't it yeah i completely agree and um moving on to your blog um you've started a blog about talk about mental health can yeah. you sort of prompt, uh, sort of tell us what prompted you to start it well yeah because as i've mentioned for a good decade i've really struggled myself um i've been in some really horrendous places emotionally and um and i feel that because i've come out the other side I, I wouldn't say anyone is ever cured but I'm certainly more in control of how I feel and aware of how I feel and have accepted that that I just feel that especially in today's world we owe it to everybody else to offer up some wisdom so that they can hopefully either reach that place sooner or never find themselves in that place at all because it's horrendous it really is horrible and I've yeah, it felt really, really awful, and um, but and I just felt that if I can get those words down onto a page, it's something for about three to five years I've wanted to do, and create a blog. But I've always, again, that perfectionist guy kicks in. I was thinking, who's going to read this? Uh, and, and then I started thinking, it doesn't matter. I just as long as what if one person reads it and, and, and gets a benefit from it, then that's that's what it's all about. Um, and but what I've also seen is there's, there's a lot of recycled jargon there's all this stuff that just seems to be very fluffy i find at the moment i don't think there's i'm, I'm struggling to see apart from mark manson who's written the book that i mentioned earlier stuff a lot i've not given a fuck it's it just feels like your best mate giving you advice i think that's how it's described on the back as opposed to it being fluffy and what you want to hear i think sometimes people are don't take ownership over their own behaviors and for as long as we're not taking ownership you end up just sitting in that world of self-pity so I wanted to word it in a way which is like, look, I've really struggled, but I'm telling you, it's not going to solve itself. You need to solve it. And that's fundamentally the only way you're going to get out of this. So it's trying to be nice, but also 
trying to be real, really a realist. It's a hard balance to get, really, because I think sometimes people, unbeknownst to them, or they may be aware of it, they find sort of comfort in being in that place. Um, so yeah. it's like how, like you're saying, it's sometimes difficult. Do you be like honest and say it as it is, or do you just like temper it? And I think it's really hard to get that balance. And something I've learned in my life is that I tend to say things as they are. Uh, yeah. And that obviously doesn't always get you too far. So I've really had to learn just to be like, just because I think it, just don't say it. Just really, just yeah. Run and so I think it's, it's it's picking the right people, isn't it? And knowing you've obviously yeah. got to, they've got to understand you. You've got to understand them. But going back to what you said, I think people, for as long as people are given permission to feel shit, they will feel shit. And yeah. it's and it's we're in a place at the moment where it's transitioning, which is that it's absolutely amazing that we're becoming aware of mental health issues, but the more we're exploring it, the more people are having mental health issues. It's not that they were, they would have suppressed it before. I I believe that it's, that it's giving them permission to have mental health issues. And it's, we need to figure out a way that it's not like, okay, go and feel crap all your life. And, and everyone's going to look after you. It shouldn't be like that. It should be like, we're just saying that if it happened, don't be ashamed. There's resources out there. There are ways to sort this problem out. But um, some of it's got to come from you as well. And I think we're teetering on the edge of this sort of, is it going to go one way or the other? And, um, and social media, which I'm sure we'll talk about, is this real bad catalyst for it, which is that it gives people a, w- a way to vent their crappy feelings. And everybody floods back with this sympathy vote, which is just fueling this, um, this the seek for attention which i'm being very generalized at the moment and not everyone's like this but there's a lot of people who do behave in that way and it's trying to make them see that it's it's not helping them it's only going to get worse um and they need to sort of yeah maybe self-analyze a bit more yeah and i think it's like it's like after a race or something like that you tend to have that sort of self-reflection and you know some people are better at it than others do you mean um that debrief that honest debrief yeah. Um, but you know, like I agree, I think self-reflection and just sort of questioning certain things and why we do things is important, which we'll get into. Yeah. Um, your first post, uh, you know, what a strong opening. Stop lying to yourself. I mean, <laughs> the opening sentence, I mean, you talk about, you know, so your time being, uh, you know, an elite runner and the stuff you'd post on Instagram um, and the sort of really sort of starting from one place, but then moving to a, a different place. Yeah. Um, I don't want to sort of give it away, but um, what was the kind of journey like from your sort of first Instagram post to up to that point? Where did the sort of change happen for you? So first Instagram post back when I was the, the runner beast, my original account. Yeah. Or Yeah. Um, yeah. So f- for me, the runner beast, which is my previous handle, was when I was big into my running and trying to chase sub, uh, sub, yeah, sub 30 for 10K. It was, it was my opportunity to escape a world that I hated. And I was this, in inverted commas, superhero on Instagram where people, I was, I'd get a buzz from people following me and seeing what I was capable of. And it was just this opportunity to just be someone I probably wanted to be, but fundamentally wasn't in real life. So what I was doing was creating these two polar opposites, which is the runner beast, which is this positive hero versus this negative version of myself that has existed in real life. And I was constantly comparing and it was just fueling this hatred for myself and the world that I lived in. And that's why I, I don't have an issue with posting on social media. It's not that, but it's when we post 
lies about who we are and, and the perspectives that we have on the world. I just don't think it's helping anyone because firstly, it's creating this image that people will have of you, which isn't true. And secondly, you're, every time you tell yourself, I feel good today, but actually you don't, you're merely reminding yourself that you feel crap today. And it's counterintuitive as opposed to saying, I feel crap today and just being honest about it or being honest with yourself and saying, the reason I'm posting this today is because I fancy a bit of attention. It's really not a problem. We all want to do it and it's nice. And <laughs> that's what social media is about, joining a community and, and us all having this conversation. And it's really positive, but it can also be incredibly negative for the person that's doing it. And the big criticism of social media is that you hear some people saying that people only sort of show their highlights real and mm. they only sort of show one aspect of their life. Um, obviously, I'm generalising here. Um, yeah. But I sort of think, you know, people are multifaceted. They wear different masks. And I'm not sort of taking away from people's responsibilities because you need to be aware of what you're doing. But some people just don't have a level of certain awareness. And what should we yeah. be going back to? Just giving people the tools and access to be self-aware. Yeah. Um so, I mean, that's sort of my sort of thoughts, really, in terms of the mask that people wear. I mean, what's your sort of thoughts on that and how that influences people? Yeah, I think, and... um, yeah, I think we all we all wear masks and um, that's that's 100% true. And like, for example, we go to work and we become the pers- a person completely different to who we probably are with our friends, our family. But that's all for a good reason, which is that we want to be, we want to present ourselves as professional. And there's always a positive reason for it. But deep down, we know why we're doing it. And it's for there's a positive outcome, which is, hey, I might get a pay rise or I might get a promotion or I'm going to go and make a new friend today. But wearing a mask that's not true and is only, as I say, reminding you of the things that you lack in life, I think is is you're not being honest with yourself and you are yeah just fueling that lack of ego that you've got by creating this imaginary ego to compensate for it. So I think it's being self-aware again and knowing that it's totally fine to become a different version of yourself where appropriate. But I think social media, the reason it's so um, powerful is because we're allowed an insight into the into people's lives and we get to see who they really are in inverted commas. And that's why we follow people because they're inspiring. It's all for, all for good. Whereas if you're on Twitter, it's all for bad. <laughs> Um, and I think that's why Instagram can be so such a great thing for our community and can bring everybody together as long as the downside isn't that, oh, I've, I've helped all these aspiring runners out there, but in the process, I've made myself feel like shit. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And um, I've got a sort of point of that I want to get back onto, but I'll park that for one moment because you've said something in there which is kind of really resonated with me and and also thinking about um a previous post that you did actually uh on your original running account uh that i could really sort of relate to you sort of talked about like the effort that you're putting into being an elite athlete like chasing that you know 10k time um which is an extremely good standard you know what i mean especially for elite levels mm. um and i was sort of thinking why is that so important to you? I mean, and you sort of explain like you think you in it. You like why am I giving it so much effort when I'm not? It's not my job. I've still got, you know, family responsibilities, job. It's not my. It's not my job. Mm. Why do I care so much? Can you sort of explain why you think that running side, getting those that well, not specifically that time, was so important to you? 
it's because it was the only thing I was in control of. Um, I felt everything was all up in the air and I wasn't able to control or felt like I wasn't able to control the factors in my life. Whereas with running, it was so linear and speaks to my technical side of my brain. I've got the creative side, I've got the technical side, which is that if I do A um, plus B, it's going to equal C. And it was simply that I knew that if I worked my ass off, I will get the time. Obviously, injuries and things like that, they, they come into play. But you're constantly living on that edge where you're hopeful that's not going to happen. But yeah, that's merely it. It was the only thing I felt like I was in control of. I mean, that's interesting to hear as well. And I think we all have like different narratives in our own lives in, in terms of where the drive sort of comes from. And I sort of think back to myself, like when I was really young, I had the chat with my mum. We call it the talk. Uh, basically, is <laughs> like a black youth um not that talk that you're thinking of but um, talking <laughs> about you <laughs> that you sort of you basically explain that this is the way that the world will see you uh and this is what i think of you uh it's, but you need to remember like you're intrinsically good this kind of stuff but the world will see you differently and you need to work x amount of times harder to do x y and z yeah um so i think having that as a young kid basically gave me a massive chip in my shoulder uh, right. a massive uh, drive to um be successful or whatever that means um so i mean success means different things to different people um and one hand it's been very good because it's it's fueled me but on the other side it's it can be you know a hindrance as well um but i sounds like you we really align on that which is that a lot of people don't accept the struggle that comes with life and they want like we've presented this idea that the world can just be handed to us via the lottery or we'll become a youtuber and and we'll have all this money from just doing videos but actually being in your core having that moral standard which says i don't want to achieve success in that way i don't want it to be easy i want it to be hard work because it tastes so much better at the end it sounds like you were parented really well and i think that's one of the real there's like probably a handful of different attributes i would want for my children and it's to have not to just do it for the sake of doing it, but to to work hard because they can't not work hard because it's how they're built. And um, and, I, and that's part and parcel of the sort of sub-agenda of my blog, which is I want people to, to it's that reigniting that flame that we used to have, I think, is we still have it, but it's dwindling a little bit versus, I don't know, 100 years ago when we, we just had this fire in our belly to achieve. And, and I'm I'm probably talking outside of my remit here, but I just, it, that's my perspective anyway. And I just, I think it's great that you're able to see the world in that way. Uh, yeah. I don't want to sort of blow my own trumpet. I mean, there were some uh, good bits and some challenging bits as well. And yeah. I think for me, like it can be negative because then you sort of see the world in certain aspects and then you kind of get to the stage. It's like, you just realize what is actually yours to carry, what's yours to, to drop. And yeah. you sort of see yourself, as you are because I think you know some people get it quicker some people get it later you it takes time to sort of sit with yourself and be like this is who I am I am intrinsically good or whatever this is who I am rather than uh, believing what other people say you are expectations and then you talk about control and Mm. not controlling sort of things as well so that's what kind of resonated when you sort of talked about the control aspect before yeah and I think that relates to who I was five five, ten years ago is that I was intrinsically good however my attitude and the behaviors that I was my behavior was not reflecting that at all 
And the yeah. reason I, um, I would create that page about stop lying to yourself is because I would lie to myself. I would, in my head, and present this idea that I was probably being a fantastic dad, but yeah. at the same time, I was feeling like shit, locking myself away and ignoring them, which isn't, that's not good parenting. And that's certainly not a, a way to be a good role model. And so I was totally lying to myself. And, but I, I felt comfort in the fact that if I can just get my shit together, the core, which is this good, good core, Will, will blossom and I, I hope now that now that I'm in a better place that's that's coming out and is the, my attitude and my beha- the behavior and the things that I do to the people around me um, they'll see that it's there's there's a good guy there and like there's no perfect person and just listening to what you said there and even going back to your films as well talking about the gratitude and just having that time to have that self-reflection about how we're sort of trying to spin all the plates um, really yeah. sort of comes across. I think it's such a powerful uh, tool that we call, all can use, just that bit of self-reflection. Am yeah. I doing the best for people wider than myself? Am I, do you know what I mean? There's so many questions yeah. we can ask. I mean, that we're such a, we're, we're a, an animal of the, that lives in a community and we just need to look out for each other and that's it. That's why we're here. It's because we've become really good at coexisting. And that's that's why it's important that we don't forget that. And uh, there's a lot of ego flying around at the moment where people are doing things for themselves and forgetting one of the basic instincts of being human is is looking after one another and building communities. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, you've been so honest in your post uh, about sort of work life, family, running side, and you've spoken about uh, the impact of that having unrealistic expectations has on one's life. Yeah. and one's mental health um so i want to ask you at this sort of particular time now because we're sort of also changing as people what does a successful life look like to you um one where i feel happy every day um actually no i, t- I tell a lie so one where my general graph points in the direction of happiness and is is flat um and has minimal ups and downs but that's it there's no, I don't thankfully look at the materialistic side of my life now and think, well, I must have money. I must have this car and I must be doing this and that. Obviously, if I was on the streets, that would be a different story, but it's just being the opposite of volatile. Um, my graph was up and down all the time and it just was not managed. I wasn't managing it very well. And I think that's the only goal I have right now, short to medium term, is just to have stability in my the emotional side of my brain it's so much in that answer that i can kind of relate to because like a one part of your life you're sort of growing up to believe that more get more achieve more do more get more get more stuff yeah. and then you you you'd live you're not even living your life is life is just passing through and then you're like your kids like for example I'll say my kids and like they do certain things and mm. makes you laugh and those are the moments that actually you can't get back those are the moments that you can't actually pay for and yeah. those are the best moments and you mi- end up missing them just trying to do do, do these things so yeah. um well the best analogy for me is like imagine you're going on holiday and you've got a four-hour flight the, the flight is life at the moment and the destination is uh some point later in life but the problem is that destination never never arrives you never get there because not only do circumstances change but unfortunately Many people don't achieve these unrealistic goals that they set for themselves. So we are constantly living on that plane, just flying and waiting for when we finally reach our destination, which is 
pointless. And whereas actually, we we could already be on holiday if we wanted to be. Yeah, I mean, I always think of this quote uh, from Oprah Winfrey: "It's just like unless you can be grateful for what you have like now, you can't be grateful for anything that's going to come to you in the future." And yeah, so I always try and remind myself of that, and it sort of ties into what you're saying as well about uh, gratitude and obviously just being mindful and care, caring for the people uh, close to you. Um, yeah, because nothing's no, nothing. I mean, life is, is is changing as we've seen in 2020, especially with uh, this global pandemic and um, so many so many sort of challenges during this year. Um, you've really sort of gone into a little bit of detail in regards to um, how running started off being something that you kind of were positive about, then it kind of turned into something a little bit less positive, uh, which you've explained. Um, so looking now, I mean, how have you sort of been able to put the enjoyment and I don't, I don't even like you just being able to get in sync uh, with your natural rhythm um, it, with your with your running today. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't want to sound like, um, I don't want to make people vomit, but it's because of who I'm with, um, Sarah. She's just really, it's just a good distraction. Um, and because I wasn't particularly happy with where I was before, having someone in my life now that makes me feel so good it just my attention has shifted and I don't feel like I need like I've said before running was this something I needed to do because I needed to escape what the world that I hated whereas I've got no reason to escape anymore so it's not that I consciously am in control of my running it's just it's not top of my list anymore so naturally if I don't go out running it doesn't bother me as much um I still feel this need to keep fit because I think it's really important to look after yourself and if I find myself like I have this today is going to be the first run in like 11 days which I mean go back to who I used to be that's outrageous right whereas I was a six seven day runner um some of them were double days I I do feel the guilt but that's because I've got inner needs not because I worry about what that looks like on the outside but that's why I just think it's so important to if you're not happy with something, you've just got to fix it. It's just such a waste of life to just go around feeling unhappy um, or to be able to be honest with whether are you creating this illusion of unhappiness and just to be able to objectively see your life from a third party think, is that, do I really do I really have it bad right now or, or not? Um, and I think it's, if you can have that conversation and be honest, then it can lead to some really good things. Yeah, you've touched on some great points there. Um, people in our lives uh, reminding ourselves that you know we are more than runners. <laughs> There's more to life than, than that sort of side. Although it is important, and you know we invest in that time, ourselves and our bodies. Um, there's so many sort of components to sort of making everything kind of tick along. Yeah. Um, and thank you sort of for for sharing that and and, and being open about that. You're and welcome. something I'm thinking about, especially in my running, and I know you've been honest about it yourself. Um, something that probably people would starting running probably learn probably the hard way is that there isn't always like a linear progression in running. Um, just because you do A and then do B doesn't mean you're going to get to C straight away. Yeah, uh, you might be stuck in like B minus, <laughs> B plus, whatever. Yeah, for a little while before you get there. Uh, whether that's injuries or just life situations, for example. Mm. Um, how do you kind of manage that sort of duality in your own sort of mind of like? working to go for your running goals but also being aware that running 
ultimately owes us nothing. Yeah, it's. Um, I must admit, I think I still. I'm not. Sure, I'm not sure how I would react if I got an injury, for example. Although well, I don't know, actually, I'd say that I got a stress fracture last year, and according to Sarah, I dealt with it very well. Um, but I, again, I think it's it's not putting all your eggs in one basket and seeing that running is the only thing that you've got going in your life and create like then going on social media and just being this personality, which is like you are just a runner. So with other things happening around you, it means that if if you end up slipping off the wagon for a bit then you can spend more time on other things um but it's it's difficult i think with less pressure now of me having to be this elite athlete it's no longer as big a deal if i don't i don't know if i miss this week's session or if i get that injury um but i think it's a really hard one to answer because I, I still find running to be my thing that I, it's like a, my inner demon. Um, and it's, it, it could come out and have a, have a play, wreak havoc if it wants to. But right now I'm sort of, it's, it's not. <laughs> I don't know if that answers your question at all. The fact that it sounds so confused probably tells you the answer, which is that I'm not entirely sure the best way to approach it. I think a lot of people can relate to that. And even myself, because on one hand, you're, all in but then you don't want to be all in that enough that you've got everything to lose it's trying to like go for the goal but then hold it lightly to be like yeah i've got other stuff but it's still a hard balance which is why this year particularly for so many people is challenging as much as you can turn around and be like yeah i'm gonna run for health and all that kind of stuff if you're competitive it's quite hard to just to be like you just be honest be like i'm you know finding this difficult or whatever you just got to be honest Mm. with yourself and maybe um, it's handy just to write a list of what's prior, what are the top priorities. And you'll, if you were, again, really honest with yourself, running wouldn't be number one. It probably wouldn't be number two or even three. There'd be a whole list of things before that. Um, and with that constant reminder, you'd realise that if it if you get hit by something like an injury, then it really isn't the end of the world because you weren't always meant to be this amazing runner and it's reminding yourself that running was always originally for a lot of people meant to just be a hobby or some uh, something to to take their mind off things and relax but if it ends up becoming something that does the opposite well then it's it's totally not working i think it's definitely snowballed as the years have gone on to i think you know running is something people find enjoyable but there's such a big business around it that it's hard to you sort of see part of your identity within it and I'm sort of yeah. just talking generally speaking um so I can understand why some people sort of find it quite challenging this year mm. um well this yeah, is why right. the, the social media side which I can imagine probably you can relate to is that part of your personality you live on you have a big following and you have a profile so if you're not running what are you posting about and there's this pressure that you put on yourself which I used to feel was like well I don't know what to post today it's like well does it matter <laughs> yeah. um it's not a job and um and there's yeah, there's so much more to you than being a runner, but it's social has has kind of fueled that a little bit, and a lot of people do rely on telling stories on social. And if they're not, it's literally can be overnight as well. It's that you go from every day posting, it's lovely, like, yeah, great stories, and I'm out running today, and then suddenly you're like, what do I say now? I've only got so many times I can moan about being injured. Yeah. I think that this that's an interesting point because when you sort of think about it, running is just like putting one foot in front of the other. 
trying to get somewhere as quickly as possible in this sort of period of time. Mm. So you sort of think about it, like there isn't a really lot of interesting things to say about it. And I've been thinking about that as well. Like what do you post about? I mean, some people want to go down the route of talking about their family and kids and stuff. But for me, I just don't think it's for me that it's not appropriate for me. So I don't mm. want to keep my kids off that. And also you just want to keep some things to yourself. Do you know what I mean? I think yeah, if you totally. give everything away, then what... <laughs> If it gets taken away, then you've got no, you're exposed. Yeah, and, I don't and that's really why your following that. is so respectable. I think because you're authentic, and that's what you see is what you get, and you're not giving too much. But what people are seeing is is enough to follow, as opposed to giving too much away. Um, uh, yeah, and there was something I was going to say, but it's completely slipped my mind. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think that. Thank you for that. I mean, also when you sort of think about times and whether you post that and. It's such a strange one because you can post say you've run X amount of miles a week, but then you know subconsciously someone might read that and think, oh, well, man, he's done more miles than me. And they're going to feel crap about themselves. Yeah. Subsequently, if you look to the right and looks at someone just above you, you'd be like, man, they've got X of that bit of mileage in. I need to be doing more. It's all that sort of sideways process. And it's really, I think that's one of the negative sides of social media for sure. But equally, it's very it can be very positive, which is I used to get a whole, whole bunch of messages from people saying, oh, man, it's, I'm so inspired by you. And I went out. I wasn't going to run today, but I did now because I saw your post. And I think that's when even back when I was heavy on social media, I used to still see that there's some really po- real positives, which still exist today. I think there's some awesome people on Instagram. Um, and it's in particular, I really like following. And <laughs> I know it's not great for my ego, but the big buff guys, I've, because I, I'm yeah. quite into my weight training, but seeing how much hard work they're putting in to create this awesome physique, it, it makes me want to work hard. Um, and um, and I think if we can inspire people to look after their bodies, then that's great. It's a difficult one, isn't it? Because when you talk about um, inspiring, I mean, I was asked that on a podcast recently. It's like, do you realize like the following you've got and do you, you think about inspiring people? It's like, well, no, I've just, going out to run because I enjoy it but then it's like what do you talk about and I, I just sort of think I think we're probably on the same sort of page here uh, we're just basically talking about the common stuff that unites us yeah uh, rather than trying to be like I'm wearing these shoes I'm wearing I'm running this time because that creates division um, and that sort of separates people from feeling that they are kind of part of the community the wider community we, we all yeah. go, go through similar sort of things anyways regardless of your speed yeah well that's it and social media is shouldn't be an opportunity to brag it should just be an opportunity to connect with others who have like-minded uh, similar interests to you and that's why the running community community on instagram is is great because there's just so many people on there and it seems to it feels anyway very positive um and so yeah i think you're going about it the right way which is just to talk about what you want to talk about and it's like it's like a comedian if if someone doesn't find you funny well don't have a go at the comedian just don't go and see the comedian so that's why you've got the choice follow or unfollow i think sometimes sort of going to social media sort of thing and i'm sort of putting this out there um i think sometimes social media does get a bad rep we kind of get personified as this kind of person that does this or does that. Totally and when you agree. sort of think about it, when we go back to the original technology in terms of like how Facebook was started and that kind of stuff, they probably generally thought, okay, we're doing this for the right reasons because we want to connect people. Uh, but then as sort of time goes on, you know, we're giving away more information that gets used with advertisers. Uh, they invest into like behavioral sort of psychology to sort of find out what our triggers are. And it kind of gets very murky. And then we go into sort of, constant sort of feedback loop of likes constant scrolling 
Um, and then you sort of go from like not using it to just mindlessly using it, maybe consciously, unconsciously as well. Um, so my it's, sort of thing is yeah. like, how do you sort of break out of that sort of unconscious uh, hole that social media has sort of changed in, sort of started from and developed into now? Yeah, it's just always remembering that that it's it's you're right. It's not there's not it's not a thing or a person. It's your it's just a platform, and you're responsible for the posts that you put out there. And you, yeah, you certainly shouldn't be blaming social media for your actions and for the way things are going. But I do believe that, as with a lot of marketing experts, they'll be fully aware of what social media is doing, good and bad. Um, but it's just getting people on there, isn't it? And it's good for business. Yeah. I think if we, uh, well, I don't know, maybe this is a controversial thing to say, but if we really look deeper into social media and, and tried to determine, is this good or is it bad for society? I feel that it probably would sway more in the direction of it being very bad for society and the plug would get pulled, but that's never going to happen. Yeah, because companies now are so big that they can't really fail to honest, sort of financially. Yeah, I just think I don't think we're ready for it. That's that's the technology is advancing so quick that we're still coming to terms with our own inner self, our mental health. I mean, if we're not even ready for that, so to have this platform that's just a catalyst and a place for people to for their emotions to be toyed with, whether they know it or not, is is really difficult. I think, and um, I can't imagine it's going to get any better. for, and, and until we can get to grips with ourselves mentally, we've barely scratched the surface. We get our, we, we understand who we are physically and biologically, but we're really nowhere yet when it comes to understanding emotions. But it's just awesome, and which is why I did the blog, is because we're we're starting to talk about it, and I think that's all we can do right now. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. I think as people, I mean, we're all, no one's perfect. Um, and as much as you want to be aware, you can't be consciously aware all the time. Um, obviously, we give ourselves the time, the space to to, to make that happen. Um, and like you say, I've, there's so many factors in it. I mean, as a parent myself, like I'm very cautious and apprehensive about letting my kids on social media and giving them like um, the, that that sort of opportunity because you sort of hear like people, you know, uh, high up in these sort of companies that say, "Well, I want to let my kids do it as well." You yeah. kind of want them just to be who they are, express who they are, be comfortable with themselves. So like, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but I feel like until you kind of generally know yourself a little bit well, then I don't think you should jump straight onto it because you can just, it can snowball. Um, and I don't think, um, I mean, there's a lot of things that we can't do until we're 18. And there's that because we're not fully developed mentally. And um, it is dangerous territory to let children, I think, go on at an early age. Um, I think it's good that they've got the 14 and above cap. Um, But still, I mean, that's for me anyway, that was when I was changing the most and when I was most susceptible to outside influences. And um, so, yeah, socialization, I, I, I became a different person probably over that space of time just by being with certain people the, the friends I made at school and I think that's probably the worst age to be heading onto social media and I certainly don't think that kids will have the same mentality that um, adults might have which is for example going on running to meet like-minded people and just be, feel inspired about running I think there's this a big part of it is this idea that 
it's that celebrity status. They've spent 14 years trapped inside and under the under the thumb, so to, metaphorically, by parents. And now they've got this opportunity to broadcast whatever the hell they want. It's that independence. And I think at that age, that can be that can be a real dangerous territory. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Um, yeah, I think you just have to be kind of really mindful, especially with the ages, for the reasons that you've noted. Um, mm. And I kind of want to end on a, a positive note for... Uh, the social media sort of technology sort of side uh what i know we've probably covered some of these uh in the conversation previously but just to sort of sum up uh, a couple of points that you sort of think are important uh, what do you think would make social media a better place to navigate um for users moving forward um i think there was talk in australia of the idea of taking away the ability to see how many likes a post has got and how many followers people have. I think I caught wind of that. And I think if that happened, obviously there'd be a huge amount of uproar, but I do think it would bring everything back down to the basics of what it's about, which is just finding people that you can relate to um, and following people who inspire you or that you just are interested in. And it would it would really expose the inner core of what social media was always about, which is just connecting people. And I, I'd, it's never going to happen, but I'd be really interested to see what would happen if that became a thing. Yeah, just a more of a focus on just encouraging human connection. Yeah, and it's not it's, it. you're not following someone because they're a celebrity or because a lot of, a lot of the time people follow for follows. They're not following because they want to follow. They want it's all it's like gimme gimme. It's like I want something back. Whereas if you had no idea how many followers someone had, they might have no followers, but you're yeah. only doing it to see into their lives and see what's going on for them. Then that's, yeah. that's the real reason. Yeah. I, I can kind of relate to what you're saying. And uh, so I guess you won't be uh, uploading and stories uh, this Friday, uh, follow Friday for Marcus. <laughs> Me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to do anything now, just in case. <laughs> Ah, oh, God, I'll be, I'll be waiting. I'll be waiting. My beard will be growing very long. To <laughs> I look like a hypocrite after all. I? <laughs> no, I'm no. joking. I think, like, for example, like, yeah, for that that uh, that kind of behaviour, I mean, I I think it's sort of part of where things can kind of have changed, really. Um, mm. I, I don't think, like, so, like consciously it's a bad thing, and I don't want to slate the people that do it. But, you know, like you're saying, subconsciously, when you look beneath it, you're like, well, it's kind of playing into that kind of, more 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 need more followers uh, like yeah. more eyes type thing and um but again it's being it, it all just comes back to being honest as i've said in my blog post just be honest with why you're doing it and there's nothing wrong with what what we're doing i'm i, I will be probably posting tonight and there'll probably be this cheesy picture of me but i'm not pretending that to be doing something else i'm just that's just i, d I don't mind that that's um that's what social media is and it means that i get to I've started connecting with like yourself. Like we we were connected before with my old account and we're now connected again. And I think that's great that we've able to now do this podcast as well. It's really opened up opportunities. And I think that's what social's great for is um not with we could very easily retreat into this reclusive shell of living inside because we've got this technology. Whereas actually social media pushes you back out there and allows you to meet people you would never have met, which is amazing. Yeah, completely agree with that. And um, I kind of just want to wrap up for the social. Uh, and I think we've hit some great points, but I just want to sort of say this as a, as a closing point. Um, 
I'm not bashing social media. And I think if you're posting whatever you post on social media, I just do what's right for you, be what's true to you. But I always say, just be aware, just be mindful of the reasons why you're doing it. And like for what you've sort of said as well in your posts. You've spoken about the uh, importance of like your other half into your running as well. And that's, you know, uh, such a great reason. But I just wanted to talk about uh, the reason why we run. Uh, for some, it could be about freedom. Some, it could be about a challenge. Um, there's so many different reasons why we train, why we race. But I think we're always asking questions of ourselves. Uh, and the more that we stay in that process, I think the, the questions actually get more streamlined and the answers get more streamlined as we're sort of stripping away the non-essentials. Yeah. Uh, where you are now what sort of uh, questions does running make you ask of yourself um yeah how do you mean i'm just trying to get in your head uh what you what what you mean by that so for me for example i would say when i first started running it was more because i wanted to sort of prove other people wrong and I was just trying to do it for the external sort of stuff mm. and then as I get more into it you kind of like these things don't matter or um stop trying to control your own controllable yeah. um, and it kind of gets more streamlined so now it's more about freedom self-expression right um enjoying that sort of moment type thing that I see sense. yeah yeah I mean for me running the, the original reason I was into running was because I did it as a kid and it was something I was good at and um I I stopped running when I was probably mid-teens and as a lot of us did turn to alcohol and going out and that became more important and socializing and then my mum did a half marathon and she invited me to to do it as well and it got me into it and I don't think I've ever the social side uh, as we talked about is what affected running for me but when it's running alone I've always been very focused actually on the fact that it's because I'm good at it and I think if you're good at something, you owe it to yourself to to do it. Um, and then alongside that, I think it's really important to look after your body. So whenever I go out for a run, if I was to ask myself, why am I running today? It's merely because I'm good at it and because I want to be fit. And I think running has always been quite simple for me, actually. Um, and perhaps that is because I was good at it when I was a kid. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, can you share one of your favourite running memories? Uh, it would probably be, uh, other than when I ran and came up with Love as a Gift, which is obviously going to always stand out. Um, for me, it was a Sunday morning. It was half six. I was doing a long run and the sun was coming up and I was just listening to Ricky Gervais's podcast. It had Noel Gallagher and it was just an awesome podcast. And it's not, there's nothing specific that happened, but it, for me, it was just, it, it totally encapsulates what running is about, which is it's your, on your own. You've got a, it's, there's no pressures, it's time off. Um, and because I was fit at the time as well, the run itself didn't feel difficult, wasn't out of breath. And to see that view, and I remember I took this photo where I had the sunset behind. And just in that moment, I just felt exactly where I wanted to be. Uh, and I just always really remember that. Awesome memory. Uh, moving on to the final questions. If you could give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that be? stop worrying stop trying to predict the future and don't yeah just stop trying to become something that you probably might never become um i always bore my partner uh by saying oh god can you remember where we were last year or would you have ever thought we were going to be here um i don't know six months ago and then if he times that by 10 20 years 
you realize how much can change and it's really hard to determine the path that you're going to end up on because there's so many paths and also the person you're going to be will just be so different so i think it's just as i try to now it's try not to think too long term be ambitious that's a totally different thing and and aspire to become something but don't be thinking well I must be this by the time I'm 25 or if I haven't done that by the time I'm 30 then I'm going to be really pissed off with myself I just think it's got to just ease the pressure off slightly and I think kids are really great at that aren't they they just kind of are in the moment just doing what they're doing yeah. and not like stopping themselves putting the handbrake on and being like oh this is going to cost this much or this yeah. is going to take me this amount of time yeah. I'm this place where closest to my goal or not was my goal so yeah I think yeah and I think their, their long-term goals probably stretch as far as when you're in September you're thinking I've got my GCSEs or something at the end of the year but normally it's sort of a rolling series of goals that you once you get past that then you move on to the next whereas when you as soon as you become an adult you're thinking gotta save for a pension I've got to this is what I want to be doing when I retire and it's very very long term and almost far too in the future and you just don't know who you're going to be then yeah completely agree what is one non-negotiable behaviour, habit, or even superstition that you do daily? Um, I have to have a coffee. I know probably everyone says this, but at nine o'clock, I always have a double shot coffee of our Nespresso machine because I just become a better person. <laughs> it gives me a lot of clarity and sets me up really well for the day. And I, I know that without that, I would probably not achieve as much. A lot of people said that. I guess is it like a time where you you could just be with your thoughts and just be like, okay, this is how the day is going to roll. Or you're kind of. I just I, I just have an addiction to caffeine. Like I can feel the physical effects of not drinking caffeine, and I know it's not it's not. I've I've battled with this a lot of like, oh, I shouldn't rely on caffeine, but it's the one thing that I really really like, and I love half an hour after a coffee, a strong coffee the clarity that you feel in your mind. And I just, I, I get excited about the day and I think that's a really nice way to start. And I have to- toyed with giving up caffeine and living without it. And yeah, it's great. You do feel better for it, but it's it's probably the one guilty pleasure like I've got where I allow myself, you know what, I'll just do that. Like I don't really do many bad things and it's not a bad thing, but you know, it's like, I just, I don't do drugs. I don't drink much. So I'm allowed to have a coffee. <laughs> yeah that makes sense i mean it's a very popular answer as well you've got like caffeine in so many like sports products anyway so yeah um yeah i think some of you can relate to that what is the biggest lesson that running has taught you uh that i am very strong-minded and more so than i ever thought um i've able I've, i've suffered a lot physically like i've done some races where i felt so so awful that when i go out and do another race or a run and I'm feeling bad, I, I can actually tell myself, yeah, but I've felt worse. And that's really helped actually. And it's also, yeah, just reminding me that I, if I've got a goal I'm, and I've got the time, I will work really, really hard. And it's something I am quite proud of is my work ethic, um, both with running and in my job. So it was a nice way to really reflect on that. Yeah, I mean, I love the work ethic part, especially in running. And there's so many lessons in running that you can sort of transfer into other areas of your life in terms of not taking failure as like being a fatal thing or just the, the idea yeah. of consistency. Yeah, definitely. And and as you've said before, it's not a linear 
graph. My graph has been m- probably much more up and down than the average athlete. But it just, at one point, it was always on the up. If you took the average, it was going up. And um, you've just got to, once, if something bad happens, just know that in a couple of months, you'll probably be out running again. And it's not a big deal. And um, you'll always look back on these and just think, yeah, remember when I was there and laugh about it. And it's being able to see forwards rather than focusing right on what's what's you're suffering with right now. Yeah, it's definitely not um, easy to do. uh, But, you know, it's something that we all kind of learn to kind of get through some quicker than others. Um, But yeah, I mean, the work ethic for sure is uh, such a transferable lesson um, into other areas of our lives. And where can people follow your journey online? Uh, So at the moment, I am mostly on Instagram, uh, phil.beastle. And I've got my mental health blog, which is peaceofmind.blog. And peace is spelled P-I-E-C-E. And I'm also on Twitter, philbeastle. Awesome. Phil, it's been great having you on the show. And like, I would recommend people to have a look at your website. Uh, firstly, for the videos uh, that I'm talking about, definitely give those a watch. And like I said, I want to obviously commend you for the work that you're doing with uh, mental health and being so honest. Um, and just giving kind of a bit more clarity just to sort of say to people like, look, this is what I was like. And to me, these are lessons that I've learned. Um, just be open to being aware, uh, use obviously social media and do that sort of stuff, but just to be aware of just like, who you are just be grateful for the people that you have i think there's a lot of uh lessons in there so um i would encourage people to have a look at that and obviously thank you for uh writing such honest um and thought-provoking um posts because it, even for me i mean i look at read them i'm like okay it makes you check yourself do you know what i mean it's sometimes yeah. hard to be your own critic and you need someone else yeah. to do it for you it really is difficult and i i still struggle big time um and but we've just yeah, we've got to do it and i think it really if you can do that and learn from your mistakes it just means that the, the life that you live and the friends that you build and and everything around it just is so much better um and i think that's what it's all about just turning every moment of adversity into a positive fully agree with that Phil, it's been great having you as a guest on the Runners Life podcast. Thanks for coming on the show. Nice one. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to this episode of Runners Life. If you found value in this episode and want to support the show, please share with your community, post on your social media channels and encourage them to listen and subscribe. If you want to support my work directly, you can become a member on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash a runner's life. If you want to get in touch with me or see what I'm up to, you can follow me on my Instagram page at the Marathon Marcus. Your time is valuable, so thank you for spending your time listening to this episode of a Runner's Life podcast.